Um, first thing, I just want to make sure I pronounce your name right. Sure. Mike Michalowicz. Nailed it. You, you literally nailed it. That's perfect. And you're Miriam Shulman. Yes. Yep. They've got the New Jersey accent even. Yeah, I see. <laughs> this is Mike Michalowicz, author of Profit First and Clockwork. And you, you are listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Shulman. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode 13 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you are here. Today, I've invited a guest expert in how to structure and run your business. In this podcast, you'll discover why becoming more productive is not the answer, why it is essential to create systems in your business so that you spend less time behind the computer and more time in the studio, how to add help to your art business. Believe me, you do not have to do everything yourself so that you can spend more time creating. But before we get there, I wanted to tell you about one of the tools that is indispensable in my own art business, Artwork Archive. Artwork Archive helps you easily organize and manage your artwork. I use it to create a visual database of my art, my contacts, the galleries I'm in, the sales, the shows, and more. This one tool saves me time by creating invoices, creating inventory, and with a click of a button, I can print out all my contacts to produce mailing labels. If you're interested in checking it out, they have a deal for $10 off just for my listeners. Just go to shulmanart.com forward slash archive or go to today's show notes at shulmanart.com forward slash 13. Now, speaking about saving time, our next guest, a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal, is the author of Surge, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, and Profit First and now has a new book fresh off the presses called Clockwork, Design Your Business to Run Itself. Today's guest has built and sold several multi-million dollar companies, but what he is most proud of is how his books have impacted entrepreneurs around the world. He's made it his life mission as a full-time author to eradicate entrepreneur poverty, otherwise known in our world as the starving artist. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Mike Michalowicz. Miriam, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're right. It is the starving artist syndrome, and I am here to fix that. (laughs) Thank God, right? (laughs) So a lot on this podcast, I've invited lots of experts like yourself, but also artists who are making six and even seven figures in their art business because I wanted to make sure people understood that not only is it possible to be successful as an artist, but it's actually quite common as long as you have the types of practices in place that we're going to be talking about today. I agree. It is, yeah, it is the key to understand that it's very doable and that you don't need to do all the work. Absolutely. In fact, I don't know a single successful artist who does everything by themselves. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. In fact, my first guest, Ashley Longshore, she actually has 20 employees, but that's because she runs her own gallery. But whether somebody has their spouse working in their business or they just have a full-time assistant. All the artists I know who are making a living from their art have help because nobody can do it by themselves. 
Yeah, I agree. It's funny. It just reminds me of my uh, my own business. My first business, which was in the technology space, instead of uh, hiring a cleaning crew to clean the company, so the office, I was like, I'll do this myself to save money. And it did save oh, money, but like, it's taking so much time. <laughs> I ultimately recruited my parents. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. They were my cleaning yeah. crew for a while. God That's bless. funny. That's like my husband, we were talking about how to save money because my youngest is going off to college. And he says, well, should I start ironing my shirts again? I was like, well, how much do you bill an hour? <laughs> and how much does it cost you to like get the shirts ironed? He's like, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. right. I, I don't think I need to be ironing my own shirts. <laughs> yeah. So also I invited you on because I actually have read most of your books and and listen to them because I really enjoy oh, cool. your list, your speaking style. I think it's probably because I'm from New Jersey also. So that's like, you know, you sound like every guy I went to high school with. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I get all the New Jersey references like Long Beach Island. Oh, yeah. LBI, the best place on the planet, right? right that's, where we, that's where we went after the prom. Yeah, me too. You did? Yeah. yeah. So I live in Westchester now and the kids here go to the Hamptons. So oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Not, not my children, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were definitely not that sophisticated here. No, 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 no. And when I first started working, before I was an artist, I actually worked on Wall Street for a hedge fund. And I definitely got schooled on that. The New Jersey Shore wasn't quite the place to go. Yeah. But I should consider someplace else to go if I <laughs> wanted to maintain my, I don't know. I don't know what I was maintaining. (laughs) I first learned about your book when I was at an artist retreat. Mm. So other professional artists are already using and benefiting from your systems. I'm really happy to have you on today to dig into some of your other other books like Clockwork and The Pumpkin Plan. Because I think Mm. all these books are kind of interrelated, don't you think? Yeah, no, totally. That was my intention. The entrepreneurial journey from solo practitioner, solo artist, up to whatever size business with employees and resources, and found that we follow uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think there's an application of that to business. So that Maslowian hierarchy, there's an entrepreneurial version. And uh, so these books kind of walk you up that. The base level, by the way, is sales. I think that's the oxygen for our businesses. If you, you know, If people aren't buying your art, it doesn't matter what you're doing, there's no inbound revenue that will devastate you unless you have another source of income. So first you need to make sales. What a lot of people don't realize is the next level up is profitability. Meaning you can make all the sales in the world, but if every penny comes in, goes out the door, that's not sustainable either. So the next layer up is profitability. That's why I wrote profit first. The next layer up is clockwork. Clockwork is about time. Once you, you have sustainable sales, once you have permanent profit, then we realize working 24 by 7 maybe isn't really the best thing to do. Maybe we should have a more balanced life. Maybe yeah, in should- fact, I had a guest on, well, I think his, his episode might come after yours, even though I've already talked to him. But Alex Pang of the book Rest, his whole philosophy or his research really has been on how people are actually more productive when they work less hours. Yeah. I, I just read an article, uh, the four-hour work day. So instead right. of eight-hour work day may be more, more productive than an eight-hour workday. Exactly. That's his whole thesis. Yeah. Uh, four-hour workday, four-day work week. Yeah. And he has examples going all the way back of, of in multiple disciplines, Charles Darwin, you know, scientists, artists, writers that 
that it, you can't sustain more than four hours of productive creative time. Yeah. Yeah. Just and I think, you know, we all, we need to also focus on our, our genius, our super skill and, and apply that time there. I think the problem is we apply maybe an hour a day there, or I don't know what the number is, but only a modicum of our time. And the rest of our time is splintered all over the place, uh, which actually drains us from our ability to do our zone of genius work. So right. it, it does undermine us. Right. And Really, when people say, oh, I wish I had more hours in the day, but the truth is, is that even if you had more hours, you don't have more energy and right. you really have to save your energy, not ironing shirts, but doing, <laughs> you know, doing, and I'll have to out. I like how you right? that you know? right. Very well done. Okay. So, yeah. And one of the things that also, I think the main thing I learned from your book, The Pumpkin Plan, is how sometimes we spend a ridiculous amount of time on things that are less profitable. I see that in some of my colleagues that they will spend so much time designing, let's say, a magnet with their art on it. I said, what are you doing? This, how much are you going to sell this for? $5? How many right. do you think you can sell? Why are you wasting your time on this instead of working on a canvas or your next commission or trying to find that next client? Yeah, we need to prioritize both the product and the client. You know, there's, uh, there's a thing called Pareto, the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. 20% of our profitability and revenue comes from 80% of our customer base, but 80% of our profitability and or revenue is coming from 20%. So who's that small customer base uh, that's buying the most of our stuff? And then yes. the other question is, what's the stuff that they buy that is profitable? Yes. And, and to your point, my own photographer, I go for studio photography. Yes. Uh, I was talking with him recently. He goes, yeah, I had this one customer. I can't stand them. Uh, they come in, they um, complain about the, the final product. I put so much time into it. They make me redo the work. I edit. I spend exhausting hours on here. And he goes, and, and they sometimes don't even pay me. They're, they're so frustrating. I said, well, hopefully you got rid of them. He's like, no, but they're revenue. I need to keep them. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. He is spending an inordinate amount of time on someone that's actually costing him money. Right. Now, on the flip side, just as because I think this may apply to, to some of the folks listening in right now. I said, who's your best customer? And he goes, you know, there's this one guy that came in and we were talking about his family lineage and he was an elderly guy and uh, he wanted to transfer his story to the next generation, but not, not in the traditional way. So we thought this idea, we took a portrait of him, but I actually with micro text inserted his, his life story in his clothing where with, you can't see it, but if you go with a magnifying glass, you can read his story. He's like, this is a good way for my future grandchildren and their children to, to revisit me, to see my picture, but then to explore their story that's embedded in me. And this became his whole new approach. I'm like, this is it. Well, he went on to do this, this micro embedded stories. I don't even know what the term he came up with. And he dictated a massive premium because it was unique. He catered to his best customers. And sure enough, there's other customers like that best customer that now came to him. So the key here, the pumpkin plan, our business is identify our works customers and have the courage to say no to right. them and then focus on our best. But also sometimes I feel that if you set appropriate boundaries, they're bad customers because you've allowed that to happen. Oh, yeah. So like I used to have that with some of my portrait commission clients. And I would be spending an, a lot of time with them. And somebody finally said to me, well, are you charging for that time? during the?" I said, no. 
well, that's your problem. You need to put in your contract that the consultation is 30 minutes. And if you run over it, it's $150 an hour, whatever it is that you want to charge. And once you, once I started doing that, guess what? Nobody was running over time with right, right. Yeah, all of a sudden it became very yeah, efficient. Exactly. And that's classic scope creep. And artists experience that constantly. To be very clear, yeah, very clear about the boundaries. And then you have to enforce it. When the boundaries are impeded upon and that customer goes an extra hour and says, Can you throw this uh, you know, just give it to me for free? I'm sorry, but that's the agreement. So right. and you have to charge them. And once they feel right. that burn in the wallet, they'll they'll align themselves. And and the customers who say, This is outrageous, I won't pay an extra penny. They are the cheap shoppers. They're looking just for the cheapest price and they don't want them as customers anyway. No, and the truth is I don't find that that actually is what happens. Yeah. I find that they respect. Yeah. They really respect that you value your own time. Yeah. They, I, I, yeah. I, I experience that mostly too. So I wanted to dig a little bit more into the book, especially the chapter five where you talk about hiring because a lot of my, my audience and my students, they don't feel that they have the, the money to, because sure. they have the, the starving artist mi- mindset. They don't feel that they have the, um, the budget to hire somebody. But I think you gave the perfect advice in your book. So would you like to share that and we can discuss that? Yeah, yeah. So in Clockwork, you know, the subtitle of the, business, the book is Design Your Business to Run Itself. And one of the elements is to have a business that can run independently, or at least the majority of the business can run independent of your zone of genius, is to bring on the best people. And when people hear the best people, they instantly say, that's expensive. The best is always expensive. Therefore, I can't bring on anyone. And that's not necessarily true. Let me start with a story because I think this really plays into what you can do. Because I thought when it came to making a business run on automatic, that, you know, at least for artists, that, that's impossible. You know, for, for, for a business that's like a, a brick and mortar, a bank or something, yeah, you hire employees and, and, and accountants and, and pizza shops. But an artist, it's all in your, in your touch. Can't be done. Well, I found this story of a guy named Peter Lely. He was a Scotsman. He moved to England in the 1800s and went on to be the most prolific painter of the 1800s. He painted, uh, one of his famous portrait series was called The Windsor Beauties. Hmm. I don't what? know that artist. Oh, oh you, you got to check this guy out. Or okay, you can I read just... Clockwork. It's all in there either way. <laughs> oh, but here's, here's what he did. He realized that his capability was to make images of people's faces so perfectly that it was photographic quality in the 1800s. Additionally, portraits, about 10% of the canvas space was the face. 90% was the background scenery, the bodies, and so forth. He was painting the whole thing, and I don't know how long a painting would take him, but an exorbitant amount of time. He then had the realization is what if he just does his strength, his zone of genius, paint the face, and then have other people do the remainder. So he went back to his studio, and he painted like 10 body poses in different outfits and 10 background sceneries, and literally would come back to his shop and say, okay, I did face for this woman. Throw on body three, background four, Jimmy. I mean, it was literally paint by numbers, these other people. Okay, so there actually are quite a lot of examples of artists throughout history and today who have done that. So Andy Warhol was known to use apprentices. Rubens was known to use apprentices. And my guest on episode one, Ashley Longshore, 
she actually also works with both a graphic designer. So she might decide this is what I want it to look like and somebody else will pencil it onto the canvas. So anything that is mechanical in process, they do have other people do. But beyond that, you know, if people, artists who are out there saying, I don't want anyone else to do that because I enjoy it. There is so much Mickey Mouse work that happens to get that artwork, whether it's on the internet and listed on your website, it can be done by anybody. Invoicing, collections, yeah. And and, and you can find very affordable people to do this. Absolutely. We, and I talk about in the book, we run an ad here. We're a small firm. We, We have 10 employees here. Three or four of the people make $10 an hour. And I'm very proud of that. Not that I'm taking advantage of people. That is a very fair, not even for the work they're doing, they're exceptional, but it's fair for their lifestyle. Right. See, some people take a job because, you know, I need to make $10 or $15 an hour or 17 and they'll pick a job based upon how much they can make. Other people are looking for a lifestyle overpay. So we have employees here who said, I need super flexible hours. Actually, one person had to leave today uh, for a, a personal situation. And we said, no problem, just go. So we set the work environment to be very flexible. And in our ads, what we say is, here's the good news and bad news about our company. Let's start with the bad news. Pay sucks. If you're looking to support your lifestyle, we are the worst company ever on this planet. Then we say, but there is good news. We have a lot of fun here. Uh, On your first day, you'll be equipped with a dart gun because we have our weekly dart gun fights. We're very flexible in in our time and, and, and so forth. And we list all the benefits. And we've had extraordinary people come here. I think the key is show what your true advantages are. If you try to compete on price, you're competing against these mega corporations who just overpay everybody and will will outpay and take away the people. Okay, so let me interrupt for a second because I want to bring it back to artists and also introduce our audience into what I've done in my own business. So I think it was like five or six years ago, I started off hiring the summer intern. So it's a high school student Mm for $8 an hour because they haven't even graduated high school. Now, granted, this was some years ago. So now if I were to do it, I might pay them 10, (laughs) competing with babysitting jobs in the New York area. But, uh, you know, $8 an hour for someone who hasn't graduated high school because it doesn't take long to show them this is how you enter something into Instagram. And guess what? Not only can they do it, but they're going to do it better than me. Yeah, right. 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 Because they'll be like, and then you add an emoji and then you add a hashtag. So all those things can be done by a high school student. So I did that for a few years. And then one year I said, you know what? At, you know, September would come around. I, I need to still have help. I, you know, they would come for the summer and then they would leave. So that's when I hired a college student. So I upgraded to a college student. I still paid her the same thing. And now this college student is still working for me two years post-graduation. She's up to $20 an hour. And I've trained her. So she is able to do so many things in my business and she loves it. She loves it. I ask her, what are your friends doing? Oh, they work at Starbucks, college graduates. And I think the key is you didn't have to untrain her first, right? You brought someone in without experience. So you, the one thing we can give employees is experience. We can't give them attitude, energy, drive, commitment, you know, cultural fit, but you can give them experience. I found the best thing to do is we hire highly inexperienced people and we train them in our method so they master our method and then the approach is perfect. I've in the past hired these people that are very expensive, that walk in with experience and I have to untrain them and say, I know mm-hmm. that's how you did it. We do it in a different way and that's there's confusion. So I, I love that you thought did of that. that. And yeah. then right now I also have a customer service person speaking about what you said that not everybody's looking for a full-time job. Right. 
So the second person I have, she is someone with three children. Yeah. And her, it's a dream job for her to come between 10 and 1. Right. You know, she can work out in the morning. She can eat lunch yeah. with her friends. So it's like a limited number of hours, which works great for me, that I'm only paying her for like 10 to 12 hours a week. And it's perfect for her because she can still have her personal time and her family time. And now she has some mad money on the side that she can do whatever it is that she does with that. And, and here's the great hidden secret. It goes back to what we we're discussing. I can't remember if it was before we recorded or not, but it was the four hour uh, work days versus eight yes. hour work days. Yes. Right? Part-timers who work, we have a few people that work here literally four hours a day. Yes. They are producing the level of eight hour a day people yeah. or more. Yeah. So th- that's the greatest irony. Less time, more productive, and they are expecting less pay and it's all we can afford. So it becomes a perfect match. That's right. And for, for my assistant, I pay her a bonus and I teach online classes. So I give her a bonus based on my online class launches. But it, when I do take her to art fairs or I take an assistant with me to art fair, you can always pay also a commission yeah. on your sales, which gives people an incentive to... Sure feel a sense of ownership inside the business, which is, I feel is always really important. Yeah, we do that too. So, uh, you know, one of my books is profit first. So we, every quarter do a profit distribution now for 30 quarters, 30 consecutive quarters. And so every employee shares in the profit distribution. So that's the other thing. They're, they are same thing. They're, they're engaged in the business. They're motivated to be both frugal, but not cheap, you know, frugal for the business, um, and innovative for the business. They find ways to get things done that are a little bit out of the box because they're sharing the success of the company. Yeah. And one thing I also wanted to make sure we touched upon is that this whole thing is not about becoming more productive or mm. getting hacks for productivity. So why, why do you feel that's so important to make sure? People yeah. So what I discovered with productivity is that productivity means we're seeking ways to find how to get more things done in a compressed amount of time. So less time to do more. But what happens is when you do more things in less time, you have more time to do more things. What happens is we start piling on stuff. It becomes actually impacted. We, we, we pack in more and more stuff and we get overwhelmed. God forbid one thing gets a little bit out of, of alignment on a packed up you know, ultra productive day, it ruins everything. It's, it's such a monkey wrench in, in the engine of what we're trying to do. So productivity is a no-win game. We're constantly taking on more. Now, I'm not saying productivity is bunk. I mean, we have right. to be productive. I'm just saying it's not a solution to a business that can run independently of you or without full reliance on you. It really is about organizational efficiency, being other people, part-timers, contractors, and other resources choreographing them to work together toward that common goal. And Mike, what would you suggest to somebody would be the first thing that they should be delegating? Well, the first thing is the thing that's the easiest to delegate and or is the most boring or uh, just arduous for you because we need to get an early win. So even though you may delegate something, it saves 10 minutes a day, but the fact you never have to do it again mm-hmm. builds that muscle and saying, oh my gosh, I could delegate that. Let me try something new. The things that we find to be most arduous and time-consuming and frustrating, delegating those, it, it, it alleviates us from that distraction and the weighing down uh, that they can put on us, taking us away from our zone of genius. So whatever you hate, hate to do, you can yeah. delegate that first, delegate it. It's yeah. an early win. If it's easy to delegate, 
you know, it's a very simple process. Delegate it just to so see you get, you get off your plate. Keep that process going and then you start getting this momentum and you start delegating a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like a, the delegation muscle. Once yeah, you start exercising like all else. the time, I'm like, oh, and I don't have to be doing this myself either. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, right. Yeah. But I actually go through a three-step process. So I always say first, does this even have to be done at all? That's the yeah. first question I'll ask myself because, and then does it have to be, can it be automated? Can it be done by a machine? Is there a software that can do this? And then finally, well, if it has to be done by a human being, does it have to be done by me? Yes. So in clockwork, I call this the trash transfer trim method. First thing is, does it need to be done at all? I used to actually write a newsletter every week for our client base every month and send it out. And one day I said, I don't think people are reading this. So I stopped sending it and no one complained. And I was like, adios mio. The, uh, (laughs) (laughs) The transfer method, of course, is to delegate someone else. Why me? The trim method is there's certain things you have to do yourself because it is your zone of genius. Is there a way to do it more efficiently? And that's trimming. That's the last phase. Yes. That's wonderful. Thank you, Mike, so much for joining us today. I've learned a lot and it's also a lot of fun talking to you. Oh, pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for having me. So do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Okay. So yeah, one last word of insane, maybe decree is I believe every business, artists included, need to declare a four-week vacation. And hopefully when you heard that word, you gasp. Because here's what a four-week vacation is. If you can remove your business from for four consecutive weeks, and I'm saying a full digital disconnect, it forces you to put in the mindset of how can my business sustain? Sadly, what most business owners do is they crunch time. They say, I'm going to try to take off from work for a week, but they crunch as hard until the day they leave and the day they get back, they scramble as fast as they can to catch up. That's not giving the business independence. But I found that most businesses go through all elements of the business in four weeks. So if you can decree a four-week vacation, you need to start looking at your business in a new way of how can I get as many different resources supporting and running my company in my absence. If you can get away for four weeks, wow, you'll prove in that you've made your business as efficient as possible. Thank you so much for coming. Like I had so much fun talking to you today. Miriam, it was an absolute joy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, it's our pleasure. Thanks so much. So good luck with your book launch. All right, thank you. So what day does it actually come out now? August 21st, six Ooh. days away. Yeah, the Ooh. panic, the nerves are heightened. Yeah. What's your, do you have a, like a goal for this? Like to be on the bestsellers list? Or? No, I don't really care so much about the, the, the sellers list. Um, I do have a very specific goal in the number of books I need to move on the first week, which is 10,000 books oh. for, I'm, I'm already pitching my next book deal with Penguin. And so I, I kind of know where I need to fa- fall uh, in order for this next book to be positioned where I want it to be positioned. What's, what's your next book about? Uh, well, there's two pitches um, that I'm going to them with. I'm going to meet with the publisher himself and we're going to discuss it. But one of them is about soulfulness in business, like the, the purpose in business. Kind of, kind of like Simon saying, start with why, but you know, why are you doing this? But really for our own internal benefit, not for the, the PR component. The other one is about actually hiring. We just talked about hiring strategies. So That's hiring great. is much more applicable to, I think, what my readers need. But the soulful thing is kind of the, the entire, it's kind of the framework for everything else. So we're kind of jostling back and forth, which one it'll be. Right. Well, they both sound fantastic. So oh, I can't well, wait. Well, thanks. To get that. <laughs>
Yeah. And when's the audio coming out? So I, if audio I comes out 21st. Yeah. The audio is done. So everything oh, releases great. the same day. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for my free copy, but I'll definitely buy the audio. Oh yeah. I hope you enjoy yeah. the book. Oh yeah. The audio is, I hope you enjoy it. It's, it's definitely a fun one. I, um, I riffed a lot on this one. A lot of new stuff, included some stories I hadn't shared in the original book too. Yeah. Well, that was, was fun. I, so the audio, I listened to profit first, first oh, cool. and then I realized, well, I really need to get the hard copy because how can I, Right, right, describing right. things that I can't see, but right. I really enjoyed all the stories inside the book, and you have a, a really great presentation manner that makes it a pleasure to listen to. Oh, thank you for saying that. Well, thanks so much again for joining us today, Mike. You can find links to order any of Mike's books in the show notes. Find the show notes at shulmanart.com forward slash 13. You can also listen to Mike's podcast, Profit First. It's super helpful as well as humorous. And we've included links to his website and how to get in touch with a profit first professional in my show notes. So thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the Inspiration Place on iTunes so you don't miss future episodes when I'll be speaking with other thought leaders and authors such as Dr. Alex Ping on his book, Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less, as well as David Burkus, author of The Myths of Creativity and Friend of a Friend. Next week, I'll be sharing with you my favorite software and tools I use to automate my art business, such as Artwork Archive, which is the tool I use to manage my contacts and organize my art sales. Don't forget, you can get $10 off your plan by going to shulmanart.com forward slash archive or go to shulmanart.com forward slash 13 to get that link or anything else we discussed in this podcast. Thanks so much. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com.